He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with James. Welcome back. Yeah, so sorry I couldn't be here last episode. I was planning on being here last episode, and if I was here, I would have refuted the comments you guys made about the movie The Program. The Program rocks, and you guys are on the wrong side of history. I would have spoken glowingly about it. It's perfect 90s cheese nostalgia. Love that movie. Leave me out of that. I was not part of that discussion. (laughs) There's so many good one-liners in it. It's unbelievable. But aside from my disagreement on The Program, the reason why I wasn't here, Kyle mentioned it, is my wife had actually gone into labor that day, and we had welcomed our baby girl. I'm not going to be one of those parents that like pretends everything my child does is a blessing because I think that's fake and it's clearly misled me and my wife. I'm also not going to be one of those parents that mocks their child or like exaggerates on the hardships of parenthood uh, looking for cheap laughs. I think that shit's corny. I'll always keep it real for you guys and I'll just add some funny musings that you know I didn't see coming along the way. But my wife is healthy, and we welcomed Halle Berry Jr. into this world two weeks ago. <laughs> and it's been a wild experience, man. Case. Well, things are certainly a lot less exciting on my end than in James's world. Settling into the summer months like a nice deep yoga pose. But I do have to admit something on the front end of tonight's episode. Tonight's going to be quite the education for me, as I didn't get around to watching as many Maggie Smith movies and interviews as I like to. So... I'm really excited to hear what you guys are going to say about Maggie Smith tonight and agree with it. Ace is going to be putting himself in the the shoes of a listener during this episode. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Interesting. Rigby, (laughs) welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be back. Happy to talk some Maggie Smith. Congratulations again to James. Last episode, because I was on vacation, not because I had a wife that gave birth, unfortunately. (laughs) A little, little less stressful, I think. Counting down the days until James shows his newborn the program. <laughs> so far, she's watched two seasons of 90 Day Fiance and the Our Father documentary on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Starting her life out on a great foot, huh? Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Indianapolis, first and foremost, right? And then two, yeah. welcome to America, where we start shoving smut reality content oh, yeah. in your brain. Exactly. As soon as you get here. I love it. I threw on these sunglasses over here. I don't quite have aviators because James and I are pumped to go see Top Gun Maverick on Thursday. Oh, yeah. By the time this will have come out, we will have been part of the crew who's seen it. I have heard nothing but glowing reviews of this film. I rewatched the original the other day to prepare. So the two of us in probes are all going to go scope that out on Thursday. Very excited for that. We'll see. Kyle, is there an over under on how many high fives you and James give each other during the movie? If oh. not, I'm going to set it at seven and a half. Yeah, take the over. <laughs> I can say that if a movie if a movie was supposed to come out two years ago, comes out, you know, two years later, it better be damn good because they had a lot of fucking time to, to fix shit between those times. No excuse. And you know what else? There's no excuse for Dan Craig to be here again with us. Because <laughs> by golly, 
Except that he's awesome. If you don't know who Dan Craig is, Dan is a high school English and film teacher, and he has the dubious distinction of knowing Craig Case for the past 20 plus years. Some would call that a curse. Others use other terms. Having joined us previously for Chris O'Dowd, Tim Roth, Willem Dafoe, and David Spade, today he becomes the first five-time guest, Munson, which is big. That's big time. Yeah, it is. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you. Now I get the jacket, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, but ours is a brown jacket. I believe that jacket belongs to Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit? <laughs> and James, I would echo your sentiments on the program, certainly, but uh, if you're looking for football movies to start your children on, uh, any given Sunday certainly worked best in our house. We started four, <laughs> respectively. Yeah, so yeah, that may be a starting an entry point for you for that one. I saw that in theaters with my Pee Wee football team, <laughs> and the thing that was the most shocking to me was the uh, frontal male nudity. I don't think I was ready to see that in fourth grade. <laughs> I was a little caught off guard. I was like, oh, all right, all right. This is more for adults, this movie. <laughs> more or less full frontal nudity than A Room with a View. I was just going to say that, James, get ready for more frontal nudity to talk tonight. <laughs> Well, on that one. I think the room with the view's got to be. Oh, without a doubt. That's a full, like, ten, five-minute scene with Julian Sands and others just dong, flopping, running around a pond. So. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give too much of my review away, but it is the most gratuitous nudity I've ever seen in a movie of any gender. Well, Dan, you excited for uh, the fifth appearance here? I can't wait. Let's do it. Well, Dan picked Dame Maggie Smith, so we'll see why as we get through this episode. Birthdays, June 2nd. What do we got, Rigby? First up, we got fellow Munson, Dennis Haysbert. You know him from our episode that we covered him in Munson's at the Movies. Yeah, you know him from Major League, 24. All-state. All-state commercials. He's the man that you see every NFL football Sunday, for sure. Anyone want to start with how old they think Dennis Haysbert is turning? 54. 61. I'm going older. I'm saying 64. I think you're all wrong, because I think he has a year for every one of those points that Cam gave him, and he's 95. (laughs) (laughs) Big Haysbert guy. So Kyle Guest, the oldest. Uh, I will say he's older than anybody but Kyle Guest. I was shocked by this. He's turning 68. Wow. And I think he's he's, looks really good for that. Dan got that, yeah. Dan Dan Guest, 64. He is smarter than us. You were close, Kyle, but you went over. Shout out to Haysbert. He was in a movie on Hulu called No Exit. It was actually pretty decent this year. And then he's in the up-and-coming Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which I've heard amazing things about as well. So. Oh, and my daughter has watched that. Uh, and I will say, I don't want to spoil it, but I will say it is not uh, aimed towards kids by any stretch of the imagination. Nope, that's what I've gathered. All right, next up, we got Aquafina, Crazy Rich Asians, Ocean's 8, The Farewell, and she's got her own show on Comedy Central. Also in Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah, she's in Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. 28. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'll go a little younger. I'll go 26. I'll go older again. I'll say 31. I've got no clue who you guys are talking about, and I think you're all over. So I'm going to go one year old. Price is right. <laughs> old school. I'd love it. No one's ever done that. I'm surprised it took 63 episodes for that to happen. All right. Uh, Dan wins again. She's actually 30, turning 34. Wow. Okay. She's just a little newer to the game. Get it. Yeah, but she's had a, a nice run the last five years, that's for sure. Absolutely. All right, last but not least, Mr. Justin Long. Jeepers Creepers, Accepted, Dodgeball, and one of my personal favorites, 
Aside from his character in Idiocracy, one of my personal favorites that he's in is Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. Oh, dude, you need. So I love Drag Me to Hell and I love Jeepers Creepers. Huge Just Along fan, even though he's only made like five movies that I've ever seen him in. I loved all five. He's also in the Sasquatch Gang and he's fucking hilarious in that movie. My guess is 40. He's a fun character in that movie, 10 years, that we talk about a ton too. I like mm-hmm. him in that. But wasn't he also in a weird Kevin Smith movie? Yeah. Tusk. Tusk, yeah. Oh, Tusk. Tusk is wild. That's right, Tusk. Oh, he's also in the... I forgot he's in the, the fourth Die Hard. I should have mentioned that. Because I, I actually like that one. I mean, talk about, like, pack. Like, he packed some punch for his small filmography. I'll give yeah, him credit. absolutely. It'd be fun to cover one day. I mean, 47. I'll go 42. I'll go 43. Damn. What a window. Thanks, Dan. Dan sneaks in and he wins it. That's straight cooking. Is that three for three? Justin Long is turning 44. I'm also a big Justin Long fan as well, so happy birthday to him. Those are good birthdays. A lot better than our last episode because the last one was rough. Kevin Garnett. Hey, he's, a, he's an actor. Five actors onto this wheel for episode 63. We had Olivia Coleman, Uma Thurman for another episode, two in a row for her. Two, two over oh two, you could say. Tim Curry, Bruce Willie, Bruce Willis. But it doesn't matter because Dame Maggie Smith was chosen by the wheel. And Dan Craig decided to come hang out and talk about Dame Maggie Smith. What's interesting is she's been around forever, as we'll talk about. She only has 88 credits during that time, which is not as many as I thought, considering she's been acting since the 50s. Agreed. This is the first time we've covered anybody that has done films in the 50s. We're definitely charting a new path with Maggie Smith. I'm still waiting for the episode when we get to talk about silent films. And (laughs) maybe her being inspired by silent films is as close as we're going to (laughs) get. Bro, we we almost got there. The, she was born while Hitler was still alive. Mm-hmm. This is a woman who's seen some shit. Yeah, that's true. She's a walking fucking history book, most likely. Yeah, for real. Let's get into some actor trivia. And James will try to stump us after his episode off to see if he's got any rust, if he's going to shake it off. Dan, you are you know obviously a member of the Initiate. You know exactly how this goes, but for those of you listening at home who are new to this game, I'm going to read off three facts, two of which are true about Maggie Smith, and one of which is not true about Maggie Smith, but is true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Guys, got to guess which one is the false fact. Fact number one was the first of four consecutive winners of the Best Supporting Actress Oscar to have the initials MS. Mm. Fact number two, is one of 17 actresses in history to have won the Triple Crown of Acting, an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony. Fact number three, she was knighted by the Queen of England. Uh, the dumb question, but can women get knighted? Yes, that's what makes her a... yeah. A dame. This one makes them a dame. But that almost, to Craig's point, like we're calling her Dame Maggie Smith. So then maybe that's fishing. Maybe it wasn't the queen that night, or maybe it was somebody in the royal family. I don't know. That one stinks like it would be a misdirection. I'm with you, Case. That's the one I think it is. That's clearly about Maggie's BFF, Dame Judy Dench. Actually, I don't know if they're friends. They were just in the movie that I watched together. So I just assumed they were. I can confirm that they are friends. Okay, good. And they act a lot. Together. They're in a lot of movies together, Case. So not just the one you watched. Is Judy Dench in the Fast and Furious franchise? Great follow-up question, Rigby. No, but I know who is, and I think fact two is the line. I think oh. that's Dame Helen Mirren. Damn it. 
That's my guess. Good one. Good one. I'm out. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you, Kyle. I agree. I think two's the line. I think that's Helen Mirren. I just caught the tail end, but from what I'm picking up, I'm going with number two as well. Smart man. Classic teacher move. You're a great test taker. That was a very very well done. So no one guessed fact number one, obviously because the initials are in there, but I just thought it was super interesting. Was the first of four consecutive winners of the Best Supporting Actress Oscar to have the initials MS. And that is true. She won for her role in California Suite in 1978. The next year was Meryl Streep. The year after that was Mary Steenberg. And then the year after that was Maureen Stapleton. Damn. Interesting. Never happened before. Probably will never happen again. Found that fascinating. Fact number three, she was knighted by the Queen of England. That is true. Uh, She was knighted in 1989 for her achievements in acting, but when she was asked about it, she had a funny response, which is really a good example of kind of like her classic sharp wit. And she said, it doesn't change anything at all, except people might call me Dame Maggie, and I don't think that that'll happen very much, which I think is such an interesting way to just be like, this is ceremonial. Yeah, it's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Really a waste of a Wednesday, you know? I had better things to do. Yeah, I had shit to do. And fact number two is what you guys all guessed, which is is one of 17 actresses in history to have won the Triple Crown of Acting, uh, which is an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony. That is also true about Maggie Smith. In fact, all three are true about Maggie Smith. But one of 17 actresses in history and being knighted is also true about Helen Mirren, who has famously portrayed Maddie, uh, Maddie Shaw, the mother of Deckard Shaw, Owen Shaw, and Hattie Shaw, famously in The Fate of the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, and Fast and the Furious 9, what Helen Mirren is most known for. So Helen Mirren, also very accomplished and very similarly accomplished to Maggie Smith. James is trying to trick us a little bit this time. A little trickeration. She, she is so accomplished, it, I felt like it would be... I'd be shorting her if I didn't at least include the things that are also true about Helen Mirren. I love it. Good approach. All right, Case, this woman's been working since the 50s. What kind of box office are we looking at here? Her box office snapshot was actually tougher to compile than I was hoping. With so many older movies, we lose out on a lot of data. First, just overall box office reporting, right? Second, because of this, was box office differentiating between U.S. and international performances isn't always listed on some of the older movies, which was disappointing to me because as I was punching in the numbers, I thought she would actually end up being our number one international box office gross performer, but she didn't. That record still held by Ken Watanabe. Where Maggie Smith does really well in our numbers is every number, (laughs) which were shocking to me. All right, buckle up. There's going to be a lot of numbers thrown around here, but the good news is they're all small numbers, and we should be able to add them up easily with our fingers. She has the ninth largest opening movie we've covered, fifth largest total grossing movie. She's third in total box office gross, tenth in star meter, third in critic ranking, ninth in fan ranking, third and 16th in two different box office metrics. And it's no surprise that Maggie Smith comes in number one on our list because she is a machine. And the nice thing that I've, I've enjoyed about her numbers was, yeah, she's got your Harry Potters and all those, but she's got so many good projects that were just modest budgets, good box office performance. 
And and that's we we talked about that a couple episodes ago where, you know, we don't want to punt like Anthony Mackie. We don't want to punish him just because he's in big movies. Well, here's a person who did great in big movies and did really well in smaller budgeted films. You, you said number one. She is number one. Oh, I want to know the top five. Number one, New Munson. <laughs> top five. Number five, Chris Hemsworth. Number four, Mahershala Ali. Prince Ali, as some call him. Number three, Allison Janney. And number two, Emma Thompson. Oh, the dames right at the top of the box office. The dames right at the top. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been a while since we talked about somebody that high up on the on the list and comparing it to the Munson meter on the back end. So I guess we'll see. Interesting. Thanks, Case. Yeah, let's do it. Kind of looking at Maggie Smith's background, I, you know, she was born in Essex in 1934. That makes her, what, 88 years old at this moment in time? Not um, a math I, guy, but that sounds right. That sounds right, right? Um, but I could not find a ton of stuff about her early life. I mean, maybe it's just because her early life was in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And so documentation for the, those times are a lot harder to find. But from what I could find, she started studying acting at 16 with the Oxford Playhouse you know, being overseas. So that was 1952. And her first acting work was in 55. So it would have been at the ripe age of 2021. 20, she was doing uh, BBC Sunday Night Theater. Not bad to get hooked up with the BBC for your first gigs in the mid 20th century there. So she's, she's from a, a well-to-do working class family and her parents did not share the same aspirations as she did about getting into acting because they were like, Hey, there's really no money in that. And her mom famously said with a face like that, I don't think you can become an actress, which is uh, something only a mother could say. And then when she was in high school, uh, she went to high school for acting, as you previously mentioned, she was an understudy the whole time. So she never got a leading role. And when asked about it, she's like, you know, I, I was an understudy for leading roles, but oddly enough, no one ever got sick or missed a day. So I just never got the chance. <laughs> That's funny. Got a chip on her shoulder ever since. Yeah. 80, 80 years later, whatever and it is. And clearly hysterical about it. And that's another thing that her and J-Lo have in common. That's amazing. <laughs> I'll laugh at your joke this time, Case. I'll laugh at your joke this time. Took um, me a second. Caught me off guard. Well, in, in 56, she she has a Broadway debut in a play called New Faces, which is a, an interesting glimpse into her career. So while she is a very successful in the box office performer, she's also done incredibly well on the stage throughout her career too and as we normally do we try to hit as much of that as we can we're a film focused podcast but we don't ignore some of those components as well but starts in 56 at the age of 22 has her first like uncredited role in a movie in child in the house in 56 as well sing for your supper she played Anne in a 1957 tv movie and then over that next like nine years so 57 to 66 she had three other small TV spots, was in IITV Play of the Week, played various characters in that over six episodes as well. So, again, not a regular early on, a lot of smaller TV stuff, doing some stage work. During this era of TV, you know, we don't think about this very often. There's not a lot of TV stations. There's, so there's not a lot of TV shows. So even the small roles were probably difficult to get, and they were probably pretty talented actors and actresses. So. There's, there's some substantial work being done there. 
First major role, though, came about in 1958, a role that she was nominated for a BAFTA for, so hot out of the gate, and that is the film Nowhere to Go. And Rigby, maybe he was able to track this one down. I know it was tough. Yeah, it was. This one was uh, hard to find. It's not streaming anywhere you can purchase, for one. The only place I was able to find it was Amazon has these channels that you can you can subscribe to uh, with a fee, it, but you get a seven-day trial with it, so I didn't have to pay for it, which is nice. It's the BFI, British Film Institution channel, and this is the only place I could find it. So right now I have a subscription to the BFI, so if anyone wants any British British film noirs to watch, just let me know and I can uh, hook you up. Oh, finally I have a friend who has that subscription. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's what your kid needs, James. Yeah. Your kid needs some British film from the 40s. Let's go. <laughs> this film, Nowhere to Go, is a British crime film starring George Nader. He's a famous British actor. Yeah. Uh, and Maggie Smith. Uh, George Nader plays Paul Gregory. He's a con man in London who recently escaped from prison. He's a career criminal. He breaks out of prison in search of this money that he had hidden before he got into prison. It's, a, it's his loot, basically. And he's looking to track it down. And... That's where everything kind of seems to go wrong for him. Once he breaks out of prison, I should say, his former associates turn on him. Some of them wind up dead, and he starts feeling the heat of the manhunt from prison break coming after him. The only person he finds any support from is a British socialite named Bridget Howard, played by Maggie Smith. Uh, Even though she should know better, Bridget falls hook, line, and sinker for Paul's mind games and criminal seduction. She helps drive Paul to an isolated cottage in the countryside, to avoid being caught by the police. Things only keep getting worse for the two, and things just only get worse leading up to the heartbreaking conclusion of the film. Maggie Smith, I thought, for this being her first role, she was phenomenal in it. Um, It takes about 40 or 45 minutes for her to show up into into the plot, but she's in basically all of the scenes in the last half of the movie with along with uh, with George Nader. I thought her performance was really good, as I mentioned. She's really the only character in the movie that you feel any sympathy for, even though she did fall victim to this con man's act. You, f- you feel emotion towards her when she's on the screen, which I think in a movie about criminals and con men that says a lot because um, obviously these people these are terrible people, and it's nice to have some sort of character with some with some saving grace in there i really like this movie Uh, i was glad i got i was able to track it down i don't know if you've seen a lot of british film noir movies like the third man some hitchcock movies they're all you know they're all up there with obviously some of the better some of the better crime films to ever be made i had never seen this one and i'm glad i did because while it's not up there with the upper echelon it was still good and i enjoyed it going back to maggie smith i thought this was a great first role for her she's Really, for not to sound too shallow, but she's gorgeous in this movie, and she plays sort of a a socialite who's fed up with society and wants to, you know, seek outside of what she's normally used to and find that little dangerous piece of life that she feels like her life's always been missing, and that's where the con man sort of comes in and fills that role. So uh, I'm glad I got to watch it. I really, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if anybody else was able to track it down. It's a, uh, it's fascinating that. She is so good at playing that kind of socialite role, especially with her first major role, because she was not a socialite at all. Like, this is complete acting 101, right? It's, I am from just a middle class working family. And yet, every time you see her in a role like that, you're like, oh, wow, she's so natural at playing like the kind of uh, snobby upper crust. And you can tell in this movie, she's 
she tries to not act that way because she's like fed up with with that life. So she does try to have that sort of bad girl side to her. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's for her first performance. It was great. You can see why she's had such a successful career. It was all those years of being an understudy and getting frustrated. <laughs> and decided I'm going to take it out on the rest of the film world. The first time we've covered somebody where their first major role was in black and white and it wasn't a creative choice. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was just what they did then, right? Versus- yeah, and it, I, I do think this was this is the oldest movie that any of us had to review so far mm-hmm. from 58, so... Yep. That was before both of my parents were born, which is crazy. <laughs> this woman was a seven by the time World War II broke out, so we're going back a ways. <laughs> and I think it's fascinating that there was one BAFTA, one overall award nomination for the entire film, and it was her for Most Promising Newcomer from the BAFTAs. So even then, they realized, hey, that this woman's got some potential. So that's pretty cool. I'd be interested to see. If you're, if you're listening and you know how she got this role, shoot us a comment, tweet us or something, pop in the, the IG. I would be interested to hear that. Okay, so four years, five years before her next role we're going to talk about. Again, more television, to Craig's point earlier. Armchair Theater, various characters in that, three episodes. ITV Television Playhouse, various characters in that, four episodes. That's between 58 and 61. But some really cool things for her on the stage side that I thought was really important to note. So she has, to this day, won a record six Best Actress Evening Standard Awards in London. Still, st- still holds the record, and her first two were in 1962 for her performances in The Private Ear and The Public Eye. So that's pretty cool. Like she, she started her reign in terror on the theater world in the early 60s. And that is going to take us to lowest critic score, which is the VIPs, and that's my review. We have another entry into the 0% critic score world. There aren't many critic reviews on this, but... There's enough to justify a 0%. So this is not streaming free. You have to pay $3 on Prime. It is available if people want to check it out. So audience score is 45%. Basic concept here is there are a group of people headed to New York City um, trying to get there by plane. They get held up at the airport in London because of fog. Each of them facing a a moment of crisis in their lives. And the story is kind of intertwined by the end of the movie. Apparently, it's based on a true account from the screenwriter of the film. So somebody he knew dealt with something very similar to this. The leads are pretty big time. So the leads are Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. This is apparently the second of 11 times that they have acted together in a picture. Damn. I think they got married pretty soon after this, too. So this was like early on in there. Maggie plays a character named Miss Mead. She replaced Lizalette Pulver for the role. After she had to turn it down, Maggie earned a Golden Globe nom for Most Promising Newcomer for her role. So it's second movie in a row where she got a Most Promising Award from an awards body. She plays, I think, technically a secretary in the film. It's a very timid character. She's essentially helping this guy like try to secure a contract, secure this deal. And she's, so she's almost being like a therapist to him the whole time. She doesn't have a ton of screen time in the first half of the movie. Similar to Rigby talked about, she's got a pretty meaty scene with Richard Burton in the th- at the start of the third act that allowed her to kind of show some of her chops off. But overall, the film's really not as much about her. It's about this weird love story with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. He like he basically does the most toxic thing possible. He threatens to kill himself at the end of the movie, and she leaves her new boyfriend for him, which is like the <laughs> the worst message. I really did not enjoy this film. It was not a fun viewing experience for me. Uh, did anybody else happen to watch the VIPs? No, but what did they call the Razzies in 
in the 60s. Most promising newcomer? I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. What, are you saying this would have won a Razzie? The one actress won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Well, there you go. It couldn't be all that bad. She was pretty fun to watch. She she was a good time. She was just like kind of a demanding older woman that kind of was trying to figure out the world as she was going along. She was fun to watch. There were moments that were entertaining. Other moments, just like I was like, I almost fell asleep on the couch at certain points. So not my favorite Maggie Smith movie, not my favorite Maggie Smith role. And I think it it, it earned its lowest critic score designation. Don't go pay for it unless you want to waste your $3. We've got 20 years until our next review. But in this 20 years, Maggie Smith's career goes from newcomer to star mm-hmm. to we're absolutely running the show, British-American side. So we'll kind of walk you through a lot of what led her there. So 64, she's in The Pumpkin Eater. 65, she's in Laurence Olivier's version of Othello. She plays Desmadonna. She got her first Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress in that film. I started to watch it. and It's available on YouTube. And then I realized I can't handle two hours and 40 minutes of this content. <laughs> But the Laurence Olivier in blackface didn't do it for you. <laughs> I didn't even get to that. I didn't even get to it. I saw the stills. I didn't get to the blackface. And I was like, nope, I'm not even going to. Kids say it uh, It doesn't hold up. Bold statement, Dan. Bold. Very putting yourself out there. You know, this is public, right? You have to be very careful about what you said. <laughs> we are a firm anti-blackface podcast. There we go. We're back to our roots, James. And I appreciate that. One of the things that we haven't talked about in a while is what's what's a little jarring when you're watching some of the older movies by performers like Maggie Smith, and they're predominantly theater trained. Mm-hmm. And that acting is and directing is so different than what we're used to on film. It takes you a little bit to settle in to, to really appreciate some of these performances. Yeah, I saved myself the blackface viewing. I, I felt pretty good about that. But hey, shout out to her. Gets the Oscar nom, what, how many years into her career? If we say nowhere to go is 58, seven years in. Damn. So that's cool. She's rocking it. 67, she's in the Honey Pot. Plays Sarah. And then she gets married to Robert Stevens and had two sons in 67. They got divorced by 75, so it lasted eight years. But her first marriage right there in the, set, the 60s and 70s. Hot Millions in 68. And then she ascends up the ladder to get her Oscar win for her role as Jean in the prime of Miss Jean Brody. A remarkable role. I watched it earlier today, and she, she's phenomenal in this film, guys, if you haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I read that. So this is one that I really want to watch because I'm I'm pissing myself that I didn't because A, she won the Oscar for it. And B, I, I read that she's like a supporter of like fascism in this. I don't know if that was like a tongue in cheek thing, but I read that she like actually like supported Mussolini or something like that. One of her female students, she like, she basically creates this rivalry with her because they're both vying for the same guy. It's kind of creepy in that this young student ends up hooking up with this guy that she's interested in. And then the student ends up ratting her out to the administration and she ends up getting fired from her job. And then her and that student have this really dramatic, fiery confrontation towards the end of the film. So yeah, there's, there's political undertones to a lot of what she's talking to her students about in the film. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I'd seen this. This is a phenomenal role. I think, I don't know who she was up against, but in terms of just like fire and passion and some of the more emotional acting I've seen from her over the years. Very good. Three years later, 
getting nominated for another Oscar for Travels with My Aunt. She plays Anne Augusta, a movie that uh, originally was going to be played by Katherine Hepburn, developed by Katherine Hepburn, and then she dropped out. Maggie comes in and gets the Oscar nom. Sounds like the prequel to A Room with a View. <laughs> I enjoyed it. She she's always has some kind of like criminal scheme that she's working up. She convinces her nephew after her, after I think her sister or brother died. I don't remember if it's her sister or brother to to basically buy into her criminal schemes. And you know how Dame Maggie Smith has this really like iconic high pitched voice in anything she ever does acting wise. Yeah, she exaggerates it even farther. It's a fun movie. I didn't. I I actually liked it. I can understand why she got nominated for an for an Oscar for it for lead. So it sounds like already this early in her career, she's already throwing around a massive amount of range. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yep, being the lead in major major films, major pictures. By this time, she's got two Oscar noms for lead roles in major pictures. So that's a big deal. That's three Oscar nominations in seven years, too. Yes, that's pretty good. Not terrible. And then. She goes to the t- the stage side and gets a Tony nom for Private Lives in 1975. So just stocking up the awards recognition, stocking up, filling up the cabinet, the China running out of shelves. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't it Emma Thompson who put her Oscar in the bathroom? I think so. <laughs> yeah, she did. The blue. That's funny. So it wasn't until 75 that she made her American television premiere in the, on the Carol Burnett show. She did an episode of that. Carol Burnett show was massive. I mean, from a pop culture standpoint in the 70s, I can't think of something that would be higher than that, aside from maybe the, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That was like Saturday Night Live before Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. That and All in the Family were probably the most, like, two most famous shows in the 70s i would say so you're saying not a bad show if you're going to make your american television no. premiere that's the one you want to pick in the mid the mid 70s like that okay after getting divorced in 75 she gets married again this time to beverly cross in 75 and they stayed married until he died in 1998 and i don't believe she's married since then she's kind of just operated you know done her own thing he didn't even get to see the millennium i mean how sad is that there you go he got it in <laughs> Check it out the box, buddy. <laughs> Murder by Death. She played Mrs. Charleston in 76. Was Miss Bowers in Death on the Nile in 1978, obviously. A huge book. And also, you know, it's been recently. They've remade it this past year as well. Oh, wow. It did well in the box office and with critics. You know you've been in the game a long time when a lot of the movies you did in the 60s and 70s have all been remade. Yeah. By this time. Yeah. <laughs> You know you've been doing the work a while. Um, we got three right out of the gate, right? Her character in Death on the Nile is not one of the major characters. I mean, she's more of a side character in it, but still a suspect in the picture if you've seen Death on the Nile. That original was way more fun than the remake. You like the original more than the remake? Oh, 100%. I like the movie better, but I like Kenneth Branagh as Poirot a lot better in the new one. I thought... When you compare the two, the original Poirot is very bland to me. I'll agree with you there. It just seemed really boring, but I really, I really like the old one. It's, it's, it's cool to cross, compare and contrast the two over the years. So after a few years of not getting nominated or winning Oscars, she said, you know what, I'm going to go back to doing that in 1978. In California Suite, she played Diana. She won another Oscar, this time for Best Supporting Actress, in an ironic twist, because in this film, she plays a character who plays an actress who is trying to win an Oscar but doesn't. 
and she ends up winning the Oscar <laughs> for the role. That's funny. And it's a fun movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. And her and Michael Caine are the best part of that movie. They're so snippy at each other. In those scenes after she lost the Oscar, I mean, she's just, they're just going at one another back home at their house. It's really fun to watch. Jane Fonda, yeah. Alan Alda. A young, snacky-looking Alan Alda. He looked good. Yeah, that's Yeah, Jane Fonda's also snippy as hell in this movie, too. She's great. Walter Matthau. That whole sequence with Walter Matthau, who's got the girl, like, passed down in his bed, and he's trying to hide it from his wife, is so entertaining. So entertaining. Highly recommend California Suite. If you have access to it, people should definitely watch it. And I think she earned her Oscar in this one, too. She's phenomenal. Um, another Tony nom in 1979 for Night and Day. So, again, going back to the, the stage and cleaning up. She played Th- Thetis in Clash of the Titans in 81, the OG goddess of the sea. Kyle, in this run that you're talking about, another movie that she's in that was remade in the teens or recently was Quartet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, well, she's in both. She's in the yeah. original Quartet and in the remake from 2012. Crazy. Which we'll get into. I actually like Quartet, too. I think it's pretty decent. And then A Private Function, 1984. She played Joyce. We're going right to the highest critic score. And that's A Room with a View, a, a role where Maggie Smith got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. And Case has it. And we'll see if he, uh, if he liked it. So here's a synopsis of the story before I go into my thoughts on the film. Lucy Honeychurch, played by Helena Bottom Carter, and her spinster cousin and chaperone, Charlotte, played by the star of our show, Maggie Smith, go to Italy for vacation. They're disappointed when they check into their hotel and discover that their much-anticipated hotel in Florence, Italy, does not have a great scenic view. So as they go down to dinner with other people that are staying at the hotel, a uh, dad named Mr. Emerson doesn't have a name, just Mr. Emerson and his son George offer to trade rooms with them since their rooms have a room with a view, hence the title. First half of the movie is following the different characters of the movie while they tour Italy, including time spent between Lucy, played by Carter, and George, despite Charlotte's consistent and noticeable interference in their romantic progression between George and Lucy, also known as cock-blocking. I was about to say Maggie Smith, professional cock blocker in this movie. That's exactly right. Fast forward, and Lucy returns back to England, where she soon becomes engaged to Cecil Weiss, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. And this was so early in his career that I think he was actually listed as Danny D. Lewis. I'd have to check on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what went down. Through a variety of fortuitous events, George and his father end up coming to England and are staying in the same town as Lucy. They reconnect, have to hide their feelings for each other, they fall for each other, and they return to Florence and stay in a room with a view. Here's my thoughts. This movie's fine. I read several different reviews, and some people looked at this as a, as a romantic comedy, in, in which I just didn't find it all that funny, let alone quote-unquote hilarious, like I read from a lot of reviews. If it was a drama or a romance, it just was flat emotionally for me. In in some ways, it kind of felt like a um, British version of a Woody Allen film. But to me, it lacked content and pacing and references that I can relate to. The biggest takeaway for me, which I am kind of surprised that Maggie Smith got an Oscar nom for this, 
she was good, but to me, Daniel Day Lewis, aka Danny D, he stole the movie. He did. When he gets on screen, the 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 tone of the movie changes like that. And he is such a weird. He's got a is a weird character for him too. That part was enjoyable. You know, I know that this movie did well in the box office. It was universally critically acclaimed, won awards. Everyone but me seems to like it, so I admit it. I'm on the wrong side of history of this, and I don't know shit about movies. So there, I said it. I'm done. I don't think there's any movie that Daniel Day-Lewis is in where he didn't steal this, every scene he was in. That's He's, true. That's why he is the GOAT. Danny D. It's taken us like 60 episodes, and Craig finally admits that he knows nothing. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the true power of Maggie Smith. She brings out the truth in everybody. I wouldn't give it an 89 or 100. I'm like in the 60 to 65 range. I think it's perfectly fine, and I like the arcs of the characters. It's just not my cup of tea. Not mine either. You know? And I like that. I like tea. I like the way you said that. Tea and biscuits. So, Craig, talk about the penis for us. Talk about the, the plentiful penis in this movie. Kyle, I'm glad you brought that up. Because for no reason whatsoever in, in the manner of moving the story of this movie along or engaging the viewer, is there a need for a five-minute scene for three grown men to be running around a pond naked while they try on each other's clothes, jump in the water, and basically assault... Uh, anybody that walks by. Like I said earlier, it was one of the most gratuitous nudity scenes I've ever seen in any movie. And one of them was a priest. So I guess that does add some some validity to why they're running around naked. He's a man of God. Are we sure you didn't watch Clockwork Orange? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, man, it felt weird enough at that point. You're missing one of the key components of this scene. For any film lover out there, and not you know, present company included, one of those naked guys... Marcus Brody from Raiders of the Lost Ark and home Elliot himself is running around with his junk in the woods near the pond. Okay. Not concerned at all about where Indiana Jones is at the present moment. And wait, so wait, wait. I found more disturbing than anything else. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Relax for a second here, because I don't know. That wasn't Denholm Elliott. That was Simon Callow. It was Julian Sands, who that, whoever the other young guy was that played like the brother or whatever, and Simon Callow. Ready? It wasn't Denholm. I know Simon Callow's penis when I see it. That was him. <laughs> he took some time to get out of the museum. Yeah, to get out there in the pond. Yeah, I thought sworn that was him. The one thing I will say about this movie that I, I, I did enjoy, though, was there was a lot of really cool characters that were developed pretty efficiently. And yes, if you like male frontal nudity for five minutes, then this is this is your <laughs> cup of tea. I'm going to say, it sounds like the inspiration of Jackass 4. <laughs> it's got to be somewhere in there. Somebody is a room with a view fan. I will say the breakup at the end of the movie between Helena and DDL is remarkably healthy. Yeah. I will say DDL took it pretty well when she said, I just think we're too different. I thought they were going to give each other a handshake and move on. That's how congenial it was. <laughs> really? I was like, this is usually where she gets toxic right now. Mm -hmm. Room with a view. Highest critic. We've got, again, another big period, 15 years or so, until we get to our final review. But if you look at her filmography between 86, a Room with a View, and let's say 91, pretty sparse. And so when I was looking at that originally, I was like, you know, usually there's a 
a reason behind the scenes for why a performer would have a gap. Maybe they become a parent, you know, maybe they have other things in their life. And this is no different. She was diagnosed with Graves disease in 1988, which is a, oh, wow. is an autoimmune disease that affects your thyroid. So that I believe that is why she did not do much work during this time because she was dealing with, a, with an illness. Interesting. But per James's note earlier, she got knighted by the Queen in 1989. Here's the question I have at this point of her career. Has she taken really good roles and done well in them? Or has she taken good roles and been great in them? I think it's a bit of column B there, Craig. I think she takes, takes good roles and just elevates them. Everything we've named so far, she has been enjoyable to watch in and, if not, downright excellent. I agree with him. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is as we, as we start getting further down the road here, now she's in more mainstream movies. She gets a Tony win this time in 1990 for her role in Lettuce and Lovage. So she got nominated a bunch, got her win, to, to James' point earlier about winning that Triple Crown. Plays Granny Wendy and Hook in 91. Small performance in this, but I'll always remember her for the way she says, Peter. Peter! Where you first learned about how British people talk yeah. when you were young. Peter. Yeah, a hook is a classic, obviously carried by <clears throat> Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams. So all the other other actors are kind of you know secondhand in this. Yeah, she's great, and this is a this is a really good movie. I love Hook. Fun fact: Glenn Close plays the guy who gets put in the boo box. Oh, really? Yeah, with the scorpions. I did not know that. Not many people know that. The boo box. No, no. <laughs> this may be a dumb question, but is this her first predominantly American film? I have to look at her IMDb, but maybe. Could be, yeah. This might be. California Sweet yeah. count as an American movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd count California Sweet. Yeah, there you go. There are some British actors in there, but yeah, I would call that number one. But like popular, like mainstream film, not necessarily to the auteurs. This is probably the first one. Yeah. I mean, Hook, she's working with Steven Spielberg. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then 92, a different, a little bit of a different genre for her from some of the stuff we've seen before. And kind of to your point, Craig, Sister Act. She played Mother Superior, a movie alongside Whoopi Goldberg, a movie I hadn't seen before before this. And I really I enjoyed it. I thought she was really funny. Funny movie, man. I felt like her nonverbals in this movie were like communicated everything. She's so nonverbal in her role. Because she's so uncomfortable all the time with Whoopi doing, being successful for everything that she doesn't want her to do. So she just has to be like uncomfortable in every scene she's in. And I thought she did a great job in it. Sister Act is a fun movie. I agree. And this is when Whoopi Goldberg was like, she had just won Best Supporting Actress in Ghosts. So like she was a big deal at this point. Mm-hmm. This is a big hit. Sure. Maggie's in the sequel. She is in the sequel. Sister Act um, Harvey Keitel, I thought was really great too. It was kind of like the mob boss. Oh, yeah. Her and Whoopi are so great together. Like, what a great pairing. Like, mm-hmm. they could have made 10 more movies together. Mm-hmm. Could have rebooted Lethal Weapon with the two of them, and I would have been there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that in a heartbeat. <laughs> My very Catholic grandparents uh, loved this movie, and so it was one of the few movies they would allow me to watch when I was over their house when I was a little kid. <laughs> and I so desperately wanted to dislike it. I loved it. 
I thought it was it was funny then and entertaining, and I rewatched it. I was like, it's funny now. Mm-hmm. It's it holds up. It's still good. The ratings of the second one are trash. Yeah, but I'll I'll probably still watch it. Yeah, second one's got a great song in it though. Secret Garden '93. She got a BAFTA nom for her role as Mrs. Medlock. The Secret Garden is a remarkable film. Well, another one that did incredible in the box office and with fans and critics. Mm-hmm. Thirty-one million in the box office and eighty-eight and eighty for critic and audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that last scene when the dad's out there interacting with his son and and the little girl, and they just pan back to Maggie like crying with one of with one of the other little girls at the house, watching her emotional arc of her character in the story. I thought I I just find really compelling. Suddenly, last summer, she plays Mrs. Venable, a role that got her an Emmy nom in '93, Second Sister Act '93 as well. And then played the Duchess of York in Richard III in 95, which I believe is like a retelling of a Shakespearean story in, I think, the 1930s. It's wild, that movie. That's a really cool movie to watch. Ian McKellen, right? He's the main character. McKellen, Robert Downey Jr., Annette Bening. Like, it's got a killer cast, and it's a it's a real cool movie to watch. We talked about it on the Hidea episode. James did a full review on this one. She plays Ganilla, I believe is her character's name. She's on her um, fourth husband, I think, by the end of the movie. <laughs> so all the first wives, she just keeps trying. Was this the movie Dan Hedaya played an angry character? Mm, bold, bold declaration there, Case. <laughs> I was going to say, I forgot that she was in this, probably because all the female leads in this are so yep. powerful and strong. And yeah. And Dan Hedaya plays like essentially the owner of like Best Buy. <laughs> Actually, at that time, it was probably like Radio Shack or The Wiz. Circuit City. Yeah, exactly. Radio Shack. Did you say Speaker City? Speaker City. Speaker City. <laughs> yeah. I own five Speaker Cities. I'm going to roll this out for an alt-rock band. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just, it just it caught lightning in a bottle at that time because it made divorce mainstream when divorce was like rampant and – it was empowering for women. And so while, you know, might not still hold up at that time, it was like, oh, this is a movie for women, by women. And, you know, we're finally getting back at these guys who are just divorcing us and dating 20 year olds. To continue her legacy, especially on the British side, she earned the, the rare BAFTA fellowship in 96, which is it's essentially is a lifetime achievement award from the British Academy of Film and Television Arts by 96. That was over 25 years ago. She got the lifetime achievement award. Just where I'll keep a track at home. Yeah. She had a very funny quote about it. She said, uh, again, she downplays these massive awards all the time. She's like, I'd like to celebrate it, but I'm afraid I just won it because I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) 25 years ago. (laughs) Right, exactly. Very self-deprecatory, that's for sure. Yeah. She loves to, like, stiff-arm the praise. That's that's her go-to. It's hysterical. I was watching Graham Norton, Case's favorite Oh, damn it. I missed one. Well, it, she wasn't on it. It was They were interviewing Sir Ian McKellen. Oh, okay. He was telling a story about Maggie Smith and how he dressed up in a certain way for the Oscars to win an Oscar. And she was, like, making fun of him for it or before the show started. And he's like, ah, oh, this is for good luck. And then he lost the Oscar, and he saw her at the bar after the ceremony. And she goes, <laughs> didn't help, did it? And I <laughs> just laughed my ass off. Well, think about how many times she's been nominated for awards and didn't get them and how long she was an understudy. So she's obviously like, hey, man, this ain't going to happen. She's just programmed <laughs> herself to to think, you know, pr- hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. He with Mussolini in 99 played Lady Random. And then uh, 
It's a small mini-series called David Copperfield. She played Betsy in 99. She got a primetime Emmy nomination for this. But the part that I thought was pretty cool, and I put the link in our chat today, I saw that, that Daniel Radcliffe was in this from Still Pictures. And I was like, was that his like first thing? And I looked up, it was his first ever role. And I knew she was in the Harry Potter movies, and so I looked it up to confirm my bias. And she was responsible for getting Radcliffe the Harry Potter role, which I thought was super cool. Wow. Yeah. That's badass. This was Harry Potter was only his third role ever. So she had worked with him a couple of years before on this in 99 and basically gave him the highest praise possible to get the Harry Potter role and change his life. Yeah. He better be sending her uh, weekly gratuity checks for those. Right. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Do you think having Maggie Smith as one of your references is helpful in acting? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> who? Maggie Smith? I don't know who that is. Heard of her. <laughs> so yeah, I just alluded to it. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 2001. She plays Professor McGonagall, and I think is in six total Harry Potter films, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I have so many Harry Potter facts about her, uh, but I think one of them that's the most... Or, do you want to just cover all the Harry Potter Yeah, let's just do the here. Harry Potter bunch. We'll just... Yeah, so one of them was she actually was diagnosed with breast cancer while filming the series and uh, was undergoing uh, radiation therapy and still was filming it. Like, super badass. She's like, yeah, you know, my character doesn't run around a lot. I don't need to do very much. I I can do this. And I would have been like, you know what? You could get somebody else. I don't need to be here for that. Bananas. I have an interesting Harry Potter fact. The movie's... Combined for $5.7 billion. <laughs> that was going to be my question. How much money did these movies make? $5.7 billion. <laughs> It's nuts. Crazy. If you thought her pop culture relevance was high already, then you enter the Harry Potter world and you show up in this, Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, Deathly Hallows Part 2. I mean, she mentioned because of like a completely new demographic of moviegoers and age group, essentially, just finding out about her from this. She goes, it feels like I didn't exist before these movies with the amount of new people who recognize me. Interesting. Well, and to your point, James, part of that article that I read about Daniel Radcliffe, he also mentioned like when when she was advocating for him to take on the role of Harry Potter, his mom was like, oh, that's Dame Maggie Smith. That's a huge deal. And he's like, I just knew her as this older lady I worked with on right. uh, on David Copperfield. He's like, I wasn't a fan of Miss Jean Brody. So that's the movie that he referenced that his mom knew her from, just to rub it in more for Rigby that he didn't watch that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen Mrs. Brody, but I know as as Professor McGonagall, she's like a hard-nosed sort of... An educator. Yeah, she's. I don't want to say she's hard nosed. She's she's comforting in this movie more, you know, because Hogwarts does have some some bad characters in it. But I feel like her presence is very comforting. Dan, Dan Craig, how how much of your education style do you model on Professor McGonagall? I wish I could say a hundred percent, but probably a little less than that. But to speak to okay. her relevance among young people today. I'm in my classroom today, and I'm watching the film that I'm, I'm about to review. I'm telling a couple students walk in, they're like, what do you do? What are you watching? And I, I tell them what I'm watching because I'm getting ready to do this podcast about Maggie Smith. They're like, these are high school juniors. Like, who's that? I'm like, uh, she yep. was Professor McGonagall in 
Harry Potter. Like, oh, okay, got it. I, these guys who <laughs> Maggie Smith was sitting right next to me, they'd have no idea who she was. But if you say that name, they know exactly who she was. Yep. So tell about her her staying power and her her appeal to t- today's youth. She has a fight scene in one of these movies. And it was filmed when she was 76 years old. <laughs> it's absurd. It sounds like the scene in The Irishman with De Niro when he's like kicking the guy and he looks like. Oh, I know. I can't believe they kept that in that movie. So bad. So, yeah, lots and lots around the Harry Potter lore with Professor McGonagall. That'll just blow up your career even more than it already was. And she cruises right into another Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress in Gosford Park. She plays Constance, Countess of Trentham. And I know Rigby enjoys this film. Yeah, I love Gosford Park. I love Robert Altman, the director of this. If you haven't seen any Robert Altman movies, go check him out. He's a he's a genius. This is a fun movie. It's like a whodunit murder mystery that it sort of disguises itself as like a class battle because it's told from uh, the perspective of the wealthy elite and also the servants of this of this dinner party in England. So yeah, it's really good. It's like a period piece. I think it's I think it's from the 30s. I want to say 30s, 20s, or 30s. But yeah, I recommend it. It's fantastic. It's her number one IMDb credit. The one that. Yeah, and she's great in it too. She's great. It's a little slow, I'll say, but it's it's a it's a good whodunit for sure. Yeah, it's an awesome movie. We, you guys said that Gosford Park was an awesome movie. Dan said it was an awesome movie. Let's see if he thinks that largest audience gap, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, is an awesome movie. And Dan Craig is our guest, Munson. We'll take this. What a segue. I think I know the answer based on the comments he made earlier, but we'll see. All right. All due respect to Maggie Smith. Yeah, I'll apologize for what I'm about to say. I think it's interesting. We've been talking about Maggie Smith and how, how these these roles that are just so British. And she's such a British actress. Like She just oozes like British class and so on. And before I started this, I actually had the thought... I've never seen her do an American accent, do an American film. She's done American films, certainly, but never, like, playing an American, like, as far as I can tell, as far as I've seen. And, uh, man, she does in this one. Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, released in 2002. First of all, yeah, this is like an all-star cast of, of females, and I can't think of a bigger waste of their talent than throwing them all into this film. You've got Sandra Bullock, Academy Award winner. You've got Ellen Burstyn, Academy Award winner. You've got Maggie Smith, Academy Award winner. Okay? And, yeah, directed by Callie Corey, who's an Oscar-winning screenwriter. This movie's a hot mess okay, for a lot of reasons, and not the least of which is okay, the accents okay, that Burstyn and Maggie Smith, I'm sorry to say, are trying to pull. Okay, in here, it's a story set in the Deep South, Louisiana, that kind of goes along with all those kind of southern dramas like Steel Magnolias or Prince of Tides that just kind of dregs up family problems okay, and how family problems from the past are present in, you know, in the present. Um, and man, these like they are swinging for the fences okay, in this one, and it just does not work for a lot of reasons. Um, our our pal Roger Ebert, okay, what he says about this movie. Sorry, first of all, he gives it one and a half stars. It has a forty four percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This is Roger Ebert. 
The Yaya Sisterhood is rubber stamped from the same mold that has produced an inexhaustible supply of fictional Southern Bells who drink too much, talk too much, think about themselves too much, try too hard to be the most unforgettable character you've ever met, and are, in general, insufferable. There's not a character in the movie with a shred of plausibility, not an event that is believable, not a confrontation that is not staged, and not a moment that is not false. So Raj really riding the double negatives there, yeah, but he does capture it pretty perfectly. He loved it. Yeah, so I was say, he didn't like he it. He loved it. Big fan. Really, really big fan. I hate when critics sugarcoat things, you know? They kicked him again. Yeah, I don't think he's spent a lot of time in the South, Roger Ebert. I mean, mm. has anyone seen this one? I did. It was the first movie I watched for the pod, and I sent a video of Maggie's wacky accent to the group chat because I was like, if this is any sneak peek preview of what, I, what I'm to expect, I'm in for a ride, and nothing else I watched was anywhere close to this. And like I said, I can't remember another movie that she does where she like plays an American. I don't think there is. And I don't know if that design, if she chose to do it that way, and this is where she you know, kind of tries to challenge herself or whatever, but it's, it's just not working. It's not all her fault. Yeah, certainly, the movie's a hot mess. It doesn't work on, on many levels, so you can't really chalk it up to her. You're right. It's a lot of wasted talent. So, Dan, where would you fall on the, the audience gap? 65% to the audience, 44% for critics. Yeah, how would you rate it? I mean, I'm definitely leaning towards the 44. <laughs> Safe. <laughs> oh, shot. That surprises me. Another bold declaration here. Can I go lower than 44? You be careful which one out there. You sure can. It's okay. You can impress your students with knowledge of older, better Maggie Smith projects. It's easily one of the least enjoyable films I've ever seen. Certainly the one of the least enjoyable films of this year. You're welcome. That's an amazing statement because you've watched a lot of movies. That's definitely lower than 44, I would say. Yeah. 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 Unless you're like me and you rate everything higher. Well, you're welcome, Dan, for watching that cinematic masterpiece as your review for this episode. Cool title, though. Yes, it is. All right, well, that was our last major review. So now we're just going to coast to modern day here in 2022. And there's, again, this woman is in her 70s, 80s, and is still doing lots of work mm-hmm. at her age. So very, very impressive. Have we even mentioned the show that she's probably her, what she's known for the most? I mean, that yeah, so we're not even. That's not until 2015, 2016. I'm just saying, like, we haven't even mentioned in passing. No, no. There's some biggies coming still. Um, so she gets an Emmy win for her role in My House in Umbria as Mrs. Delahunty. Still winning major awards. Three Harry Potter films in the mid-2000s. She's in Becoming Jane as Lady Gresham in 07. Another Emmy nom for Capturing Mary in 07. To James's point earlier, diagnosed with breast cancer. 07 recovers by 09 during Harry Potter filming. And then we see a cross, our one and only crossover with Dame Emma Thompson in Nanny McPhee Returns. She plays Mrs. Doherty. It took until 2010 to see that crossover happen, which is surprising given they're so big. Since she works so much with Judy Dench, you would think maybe she would cross paths with Emma more. But I guess they were just doing different projects over the years. But the big, I guess this is where her her career takes another step. So she receives the Society of London Theatre Special Award in 2010. So a prestigious award for the the stage work side in London. And then per Rigby's cue up earlier, Downton Abbey, she plays Violet Crawley, the show that was 52 episodes from 2010 to 2015. She got five Emmy noms and won three of them 
for that show, which has also since turned into two other movies, including one that just came out. So I've I, I've never seen a single episode of this, but it which is weird. It's like I've never seen a single episode of this, but I I could tell you like Maggie Smith's character and like what she does in this movie in this show. So I think that speaks to the impact of her acting skill and her notoriety, both in the UK and now in America. Because this is a huge. I mean, people are obsessed with this show. They like oh, yes. people like redesign their apartments to like look like the style that they had back then. Like that's how big of a show this is. I have gone out of my way to suggest like really fun and pop culture like TV shows that people wouldn't hear of. And this is probably the show people recommend to me to watch the most. Really? I tell them to watch Eastbound and Down, and they're like, have you seen Downton Abbey? And I'm like, no, what is that all about? Those two could not be more opposite. I love that. Yeah, very Munson of you. But but you're like, but Danny McBride, do you know what <laughs> yes. he can do with a mullet? I would love to see Kenny Powers beat up one of the Downton Abbey characters for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. To Rigby's point, this, this show is so huge. They've come out with two new movies in the past like three years, and every time I see the preview, and I'm like, I have zero interest. I think where it struggles with me is it's a it's a TV show, which I don't really watch a lot of TV shows because I just it's really hard for me to devote, you know, especially a show like this where there's five seasons where it's an hour each episode. Like that's a long commitment to sort of sit down and be interested in. Mm-hmm. I also think you you kind of mock the actors who are in it. I I do kind of feel there's like this sort of stuck upness to it the people that watch it and love it yeah they're they're watching it because they know it's like intellectually bright and intellectually you know uh, achieving and that always kind of bothered me about that too i have watched the show and i actually we actually have seen every episode of the show and in the, <laughs> if you would ask me beforehand like oh yeah here's this show about edwardian england that in 1912 Okay, about British, you know, British gentry. I would have said no, thanks, okay, in any way. But for whatever reason, it just it just hooked us in, and and we we watch it. It's we're into it, and part of the reason is because of her. Maggie Smith makes that show yep. what it is. She is hilarious in the things that she says, and when she gets a chance to like be vulnerable and not be so like snooty and and upper class she's awesome like she's she's excellent on that show and for her to like this is arguably what she like could go down as being the most famous for yeah at age 81 or 82 or whatever she was it's just wild what's interesting about this show is the the audience is so diverse like i know you know, people in their 20s who are obsessed with it, just like I know, like I know my grandma watches it. And I know like it's peaked an interest among people that it's like it's not like they have a target audience, like the target audience is everybody, yeah. which I think mm-hmm. is fascinating. So the testament to its relevance. Well, and you talk about their fan dedication. Normally, when there's spinoff movies like this, the, the audience is not happy. Downton Abbey, the first one, 94 percent fan ranking. Downton Abbey, New Era, 97 percent fan ranking crazy the production value on those movies too is really high and they do a good job especially with shots of the property and stuff like that in the house they do a good job crazy remarkable she gets into her 80s and basically redefines her career again with another iconic role it's just so impressive for somebody of her caliber i guess late late 70s not necessarily her 80s but then she does her first of two Nomeo roles alongside Emily Blunt and Nomeo and Juliet. She plays Lady Blueberry. 
and then she reprises that in Sherlock and Holmes in 2018. So go into the voice acting animated side. The kind of stuff that I'm sure Rigby watched a ton of to prep for this episode to get ready. Yep. You have to, you know. And then the best exotic Marigold Hotel. She plays Muriel in 2011. I haven't seen the original. I watched the second best exotic Marigold Hotel because it's on Hulu. And I found it thoroughly enjoyable. So I can only imagine the first one's pretty solid too. Yeah, I remember this movie, A, being getting really good reviews and also doing really well at the box office. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's gr- and it's full of great actors. I was just going to say the cast is insane. It's crazy. Deb Patel. Yeah, Deb Patel, Bill, Bill Nye, um, Judy Dench, Tom Wilkinson. Like, all of those are, like, on the upper echelon of, of British actors right now. So It's a cool concept of, the, I assume the first movie is all about them establishing the first one and it... The hotel is basically a place for old folks to go to like live out the best, the last years of their life. And it's in India. And the second one has got some charm to it. And Maggie's great. She's great in this. Like she is the emotional core of the story. The, the budget of this was 10 million with all of those good actors in it. Made over 130 million at the box office, which mm-hmm. shows how big of a sort of a surprise hit this was. You know, the budget, they obviously. I think try to keep it low because they didn't think that they would get their return, but they got it in spades. That's for sure. Yeah. This is one of a, probably a dozen movies that she's been in that has done something like that. You're not number one in the box office for nothing, right? Like these yeah. are piling up. There's a scene at the end of the second one. It's like right before the end of the movie, uh, one of the male characters comes walking in and you think Maggie Smith is dead. Cause she's just laying there real still. It starts to create this environment where he's really sad and he gets up close and she goes, piss off. And it just catched you by surprise, and it made me laugh so hard because <laughs> it was just like, man, she's just like, I'm just trying to enjoy some peace and quiet in my last days in this freaking hotel that I built. So I thought that was cool. That's funny because that's kind of how I see her. I see her going, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the last years of her life. Just, just like, ornery, right? Yeah. yeah. But Quartet, that movie that Case talked about, the the remake, I, maybe sequel? I don't know if it's a remake or a sequel in 2012, directed by Dustin Hoffman, which I thought was pretty cool. Billy Connolly's in this, and he plays one of the other members of the quartet. And again, I, I really enjoyed the dynamic between some of the characters. I don't know if anybody else watched this. Would recommend. 2015, a film that I can't recommend highly enough. She got a BAFTA nom for her role as Miss Shepard in The Lady in the Van. And my goodness, she is so good as a basically a homeless woman living in a van. Crotchety, sassy, and this movie is so funny. And it's mainly because of her character being this like homeless woman that they just can't get rid of. Are you sure that's not the pigeon lady in Home Alone 2? Uh, oh, Brenda Fricker? Also an Oscar winner. Yes, she is. Now, I, I, this is another one I, I, I read about in when we get to the greatest or to the top performances. This is one that I read about and not to give that away, which I just did. I read about it. And again, I was very disappointed that I didn't get to watch it because it seems like a movie that I'd really like. And it's the way that you described it. It's an acting tour de force. And that's how, you know, people people talked about it. So yeah, it's not streaming free anywhere right now, which doesn't help either. I think it's well worth the time. I think it's only about an hour and half maybe hour 35 but big fan of that one so i'm just so impressed that all these years later like from 1958 to 2015 she's still putting in powerhouse performances on screen i just think it's so cool so just to kind of round it out downton abbey 2019 that first movie is the narrator and plays a smaller role in a boy called christmas and she plays aunt ruth a movie that's on netflix a movie that i thought was gonna be terrible and actually wasn't it was better than i expected it to be 
about the like origin story of Christmas being about this boy. So that's available for people to check out. Is it better than the origin story of Christmas that I watched with the John Lithgow movie called Santa Claus? Yes, hundred percent. Awful. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The or- I was the origin of Christmas that I watched was the uh, House of Santa Claus. Eight pounds, six ounce, beautiful baby Jesus. Barely even talking. Man, he had a beard. Not even a thought in his head. <laughs> and then finally, most recently, Downton Abbey, a new era, currently in theaters. All right, Rigby, you alluded to it earlier. We didn't hit every role, but you've got some top performances for us. Let's see how well we do in guessing them. This is going to be a tough one tonight. I will say because of her storied career, there are 15 roles on here, but they do combine TV and film. So you guys know where that's going. And it's not its not numerically ranked. Yep. So the list is from a site called Looper. Oh, yeah, I like Looper. Not the Bruce Willis uh, JGL film, but Looper is... They write about TV, gaming, comics, movies. It's a pretty fun fan site, so I, I recommend checking that out. But this is Maggie Smith's best movie in TV roles, and it's from 2022, so it's updated as well. I kind of like doing non-numerically ranked because we get to sort of do it at the end, and I think we kind of ha- all have an idea of what's at the top, but let's go ahead. All right, give me Miss Jean Brody. Yep. Take the easy one. Just name off all the movies that she was nominated for an Oscar, right? Uh, Sister Act. Yep. Had to be. Downton Abbey, of course. We can we can assume that that's probably, if, if it's not her top, it's definitely in her top two or top three, three of, what, of three. roles that she's most known for. So, Give me California Sweet, Oscar-winning role. Yes. Oh, I love it. Big fan. Ooh. Let's go Nowhere to Go. No, nope, not oh, on there. I'm going to throw one we didn't, we didn't spend any time on, Tea with Mussolini. Nope. Ooh. Mm. Travels with My Aunt is going to be on there. Yes. The Harry Potter movies. Yeah. yeah. Has to be, for sure. I'd say uh, Hook is on there. No, Hook's not on here. Oh, man, good guess, though. Definitely a memorable role, but it's not maybe not classified as her best. I bet Case's favorite, Room with a View, is on there. Yes. Wow. Nailed it. Come on. She's nominated for an Oscar. Why is that on there? Gosford Park. Yep. Got to be on there, too. That's the top three here. How many are we missing? I think like three or four left. Secret Garden. Secret Garden, yep. yep. Talked about all of them, the last three? I think we talked about... Yeah, I think we mentioned all of them except one. Lady in the Van, yep. definitely on there. Yep. Richard Third. Nope. Oh. And uh, the best Marigold Hotel is probably on there, too. No, it's not, surprisingly. Interesting. Oh, so we're missing we're missing three. Death on the Nile? Yeah, Death on the Nile. Now we're missing two, and I think we talked about... I know we talked about one of them. I'm not sure about the other one. Othello. Actually, sorry. We're missing, th- we're missing three, and I know we talked about two. A black face and Othello? Othello, yeah. No. <laughs> one of them is Quartet, Kyle. Oh, okay. Was it the 2012 or the older one? The older one. Okay. She's got all these other, like, movies. TV movies where she's nominated for Emmys and stuff like that. So Nothing Like a Dame. Did we talk about that? No. No. And it's a 2018 documentary. Oh. The site says, perhaps one of Maggie Smith's most memorable roles is the one in which she doesn't play anyone at all but herself. Hmm. Maggie Smith sits down for an afternoon of tea and gossip with the biggest dames around. Maggie Smith, Judy Dench, Joan Plowright, and Eileen Watkins. Or Eileen Atkins. Damn. The film explores the careers of each of these women and lets them speak for themselves and for them to experience each other's work and lives. So that's pretty interesting. That sounds super interesting. 
It's pretty impressive when a documentary about your life is on your top row. <laughs> like how impressive you are. Yeah, I probably should have looked into that a little more. But nice job. We rounded out all 15 there. Good work. So what do we think are the, the top three if we had to pick? I know that's not numerical, that list. I think these lists sort of kind of collide on our show is like there's there's a huge difference between like best and most memorable or is there a difference that's a thing it's like yeah so like i think her best and that's and i haven't really seen all of her stuff obviously but i love gosford park so i would say that's her best but obviously her most memorable is downton abbey just with the pop culture impact and you could make a case of harry potter with the pop culture impact too yeah if i'm gonna go on pure performance i think my top three are gene brody lady in the van and maybe travels with my aunt. Those are probably up there. But Downton Abbey probably a pretty darn close. She at least has a, a well-recognized film career that, even though she's typecast now because she's in her 80s, but like she's she's not going to be sorely pigeonholed just to play that role, you know? Well, she did film first and then TV became prominent yeah. later in her career yeah. versus the other way around. Okay. Uh, thanks, Riggs. All right, let's get into the Munson meter. So what we do is we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. They can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. Uh, I drew the straw to go first. I didn't know a ton about Dame Maggie Smith before this. The Lady in the Van was the one role that stuck out to me because I had seen it a couple years ago and fell in love with the film and her performance. I'm not a huge Harry Potter nerd, so I knew she was in it, but that you know that wasn't a huge thing for me, and I, I'm not really a Downton guy. But I love these deep dives because I get to explore decades that I wasn't aware of. I get to watch older films that I didn't even know existed that is part of this like pop culture milieu. So it was fascinating to study her. So some of the notes that I made, you know, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but you know you've been in the game a while when a handful of your movies have been re- remade, including the same movie you made in the 80s being remade or sequeled out, you know, three decades, four decades later. Yeah. Most impressive for me is her longevity from the late 50s to roles like Lady in the Van and Downton Abbey in 2015. To, to have that much relevance in entertainment over the over seven decades is wild so like she maxes out on the longevity game for me and the other thing we didn't talk about she's become incredibly philanthropic in her later years so as she's gotten into her 60s 70s and 80s given a ton of time and money to a lot of things when you make that harry potter money you got money to give away right yeah you do (laughs) she's done a lot of really cool stuff um and you can look it up online to see what she's been giving up given philanthropically, but that's been awesome. Obviously, overseas, it doesn't get any bigger than Dame Maggie Smith in terms of pop culture. In the States, a little bit less, but I'm not going to knock her much there because with Harry Potter and Downton, I think she still has huge name recognition here. There are a few too many period pieces for my preference and liking in film, but I'm not going to knock her too much because I can't deny her legend. I mean, this woman's been nominated for a ton of Oscars, won multiple Oscars, Emmys, Tonys, right? She's done it all. And I loved her as Jean Brody and Lady in the Van California Suite and Harry Potter Secret Garden Travels My Aunt. Like, these are all classics, and she is largely responsible for most of their success. Again, I love a good actor who does some great stuff on the uh, on the stage side. 
with Tony. So I'm going to give her a pretty damn high score. I know I gave Emma Thompson a 94. She's going to come up a little short on that, but I'm going to give Dame Maggie Smith a 90. I think she's earned it. Rigby, you're up. That's a good score, Kyle. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I wish, I wish I'd been able to watch more. I mentioned earlier that I've never seen a single episode of Downton Abbey, but it's like I almost know her character from that show. That shows her effect. Um, so I think that goes without saying for sure. Love Gosford Park. Love her in Hook. Love her in the Harry Potter films. I wish I had, and I liked her in my movie, Nowhere to Go. I wish I'd seen Miss Brody. I know that that's, you know, that was the, the performance that really put her in the award spotlight. And she's really never let up from there. She's a great actress. And obviously she's been knighted by the uh, the royal family. That says all you need to know about her, her impact. So I think you can say that her pop culture impact is definitely one of the highest of the people that we've covered. So... Yeah, I'm going to give her a high score as well. I'm going to give her an 89, which I think is the second highest of anyone we've covered. For you? I, I think I gave Philip Seymour Hoffman a, a 93. You gave him 93, you gave Defoe a 90. So she uh, would be the third highest. Yes. Third highest. I honestly think like Lithgow might be the person with the most extensive filmography that we've covered in terms of like started and now they're still going. Mm-hmm. Like we we need to put into perspective like how long this woman's been in the game and and how good she's she's done at it. And she has like Lithgow by like twenty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good point. Good point. And not that many credits. So project selection's been really smart. She's done a great job selecting projects, especially if you love period pieces. She's done amazing stuff in there. Yeah. So okay, Dan, our guest Munson, you're up. I mean, if you're shooting for a career in film and theater and television. You could do a lot worse than Maggie Smith. <laughs> Here's your son. What's awesome about her is that she adds like an instant level of credibility and class and humor to just about every project she takes. Even the movie that, that I reviewed, Divine Secret of the Yaya Sisterhood, wasn't thrilled to watch, okay? but like, oh, it's got Maggie Smith in it. How bad could it be? <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, just... Her, her name being attached to something um, lends itself to that. For money, I don't think it gets much better. You know, I celebrate Maggie Smith's entire catalog. I'm going 95. Oh, our fourth actor that's gotten a 95, and they're all from guests. I love it. Just like Huey Lewis in the news, you celebrate her entire catalog. The entire catalog. My money, it doesn't get you're trying to tell me that Maggie Smith is just as good an actor as Dennis Haysbert. I was about to say, we started with Dennis, and we're finishing with a comparison to Dennis. Yeah, just disrespectful to Haysbert's career. In all fairness, you could slide Maggie Smith right into 24, and that show would not have missed a beat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that, too. She'd crush the Aflac commercials. She would, no, what is she, it? Allstate. She would, yeah, she'd be the queen in the British version of the 24, right? There you go. There you go. You let your daughter behind the wheel. <laughs> Piss off. You're in good hands with all <laughs> Iconic voice, man. All right, James, you're up. I, I'm in an odd spot because I was real fortunate because Halle Berry Jr. was here. So I was not able to watch a lot of her movies. But like, how do I rank someone who's essentially accomplished everything in acting and has been doing it for like seven decades? Good in everything I've seen her in to do it for that long and to not have a single bad word be said about you. Like I looked up controversies involving her and there are none. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah. You know, failed marriage. Who, 
hasn't had that. Like it's not a big deal. And then it's everyone just saying glowingly nice things about her. She's so self-deprecating despite all the success and she's been doing it for so long. The only thing I am knocking her on is one, a personal thing. I didn't get to see a lot of the movies. Uh, and two, I kind of disagree with the name recognition, but I think it's a lot because she just has a very common name. Uh, you know, Maggie Smith, you know, it's super British. Um, but once you, people see her, they go, oh, of course. Oh, I loved her in that one thing. Yeah. Uh, and so for that, I'm going to give her 84. You know her face. You know, you might not know the name, but you know, like when you see that, you're like, oh, that's the woman from Downton Abbey. That's the woman from Absolutely. Harry Potter. Like, you know who that is. So. And when people do impressions of her, you know who they're doing because of that high pitched mm-hmm. voice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you want to hear it on steroids, go watch Travels with my aunt because she amps it up to the nth degree. It's wild. Pizza. All right, Case, round us out. I'm in the uh, same boat as James. I didn't get to watch as much as I normally like, so I'm probably going to give her. Not as good of a score as I would have had I had more time to prepare, but only thing I'll add to her character recognition, I think maybe a little bit more accurate of what we're talking about. There's not a lot of range in the different types of roles that we know her from, although she has played them. Positive thing I'll add to her list here is that we've, we've identified that she's done incredible in the box office, and she's been a major role in most of them. And... The movies that she's been in, I have over 40 movies that I was able to find complete box office information on, and over a third of them have grossed five times the budget. Just That's unheard of on our list. Again, that's why she's number one. So I agree with everything that's been said. Comparing her to some of the other performers and, and kind of placing her where I think she fits in with them, I'm going to give her an 85. With all of our scores, that gives... Dame Maggie Smith, an 88.6, which puts her in third place. Interesting. Between Jamie Lee Curtis and Dame Emma Thompson. She hurdles Dame Emma by two points. Oh, that's perfect. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Top five. So it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jamie Lee Curtis, Maggie Smith, Emma Thompson, and Jim Carrey. Those are our top five right now. And who got bumped? Hallie. Halle Berry. Well, that's interesting. I only I find Emma Thompson a little bit more entertaining. Me too. I get I give Emma a bump too for being the only person ever to win writing and acting Oscars, and so I kind of gave her the. I think she's incredibly hilarious. She's so funny, and yeah. she. I think she has a little bit more like off screen talent than Maggie Maggie Smith does, but Maggie's dominated the theater side so you you have to respect that and it's incredibly philanthropic she's impressive she's definitely impressive hey top five that's big for for any of us here so we'll take it and just so everybody's aware uh still in 63rd chris o'dowd still holding up the rear (laughs) but he's got he's got time do you think your episode will ever rise from the the lowest well, I think you'll have to hang in there until you do the Clint Howard podcast. He might, <laughs> he might rank a little lower than O'Dowd, but no way. How did I say that? Let's, no. do, let's, do, let's do Clint Howard when Warren comes back. This woman who is 88 years old, James, what does she have coming? Dude, she's still cooking. Uh, and these movies sound pretty interesting. So she's got a movie coming out called A German Life in which she is the only uh, listed star at the moment, but it's about the uh, secretary of a famous Nazi general here. Uh, was it, is it Joseph Goebbels? Goebbels? There you go. Piece of shit, um, regardless how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, he, he's like shit. the guy who invented propaganda. 
and then and James, that's she's reprising her on-stage role in that too. So she's done this on the stage, and she's bringing it to the screen, which I think is pretty cool too. That is badass. Um, the other movie that she has coming out, the so nothing's really known about it, but there are three stars, and the stars are pretty heavy hitters. Uh, so the three stars that are listed of this movie called The Miracle Club are Maggie Smith herself, uh, Kathy Bates, and Laura Linney, but the plot's not public yet. Damn. I'll watch that movie. That's a cool-sounding cast. Mm-hmm. All right, so five actors we're throwing onto the wheel for episode 64. And we have Lauren Hopkins returning. She was previously here from Maya Rudolph and Elliot Page. Oh, yeah. And so this episode will drop on June 16th. Lauren's our, uh, our favorite Pittsburgh friend. Um, also, we should have Warren on this episode as well. So, we, you know, we're going to be, we're popping with talent. Here are the five actors that were thrown under the wheel, and Lauren shows one of them. Um, we have Ben Wishaw, Steve Martin, Mads Mikkelsen, Sanaa Lathan, and Angelina Jolie. What do we like? What do we dislike? Damn. I mean, Mads Mikkelsen? He's so good in another round. He's incredible yeah, he's in that movie. Yeah. Awesome actor. And we get to watch a lot of good foreign films, which would be fun. Angelina Jolie. You guys ever seen The Hunt from 2012 with Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah, yeah oh, it's fantastic. What, what an incredible film. Yeah, awesome movie. One of my That's one of the few movies I've given a 10 out of 10. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, it's great. Same director as Another Round, too, right? I think I so. Think. Yep. yep. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love Mads. In the new Indiana Jones movie. Oh, that's right. The first one is Ben Wishaw. He's uh plays Q in No Time to Die. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. He'd be good. He'd be he good. He plays the dad in Mary Poppins Returns. He has a new um a new TV show that just came out too, I saw on BBC. It's called This Is Going to Hurt. Okay. We would get to watch the classic Paddington 2, which is obviously a <laughs> pop culture staple. I cried the whole time and it made me want to be a better man. <laughs> what movie did we just watch? That it was in the Nick Cage that, movie where he's like, right. name your top three favorite movies. And the first two are, uh, one of them's Con Air. The other one's like an obscure 30s movie. And he's like, tell me the final one. And he goes, Paddington 2. And he's like, bullshit. He's like, I cried the whole time. It made me want to be a better man. <laughs> and then they just sit there and watch together and cry the whole time. <laughs> we would enjoy that. Dude, give me Steve Martin. I would love to watch Steve Martin. I think he's hilarious. He's so unique in that kind of goofball humor that's also smart and witty and kind of edgy i would i would love for that humor to come back but he he has such a unique talent it's hard to mirror it yeah we get to talk about my favorite comedy film of all time too which is plain strings and automobiles oh fantastic steve does the family friendly films he's all over the place and he's been getting criticized for his like stand-up lately but out of context which i think is yeah, unfair. a lot of the stand-up yeah. getting sort of shown into a new it's being criticized for not being not aging as well as he would hope i think but who has what you guys are referencing is his king tut song which was like super popular when it's out of context there are no jokes in the song but when it's in context it's like very smart and mocking how there was a King Tut museum uh exhibit that was just printing cash going around the country and it's all about like capitalism and come see the rock star but like when you just play the song everyone's like how is this funny I'm like ah oh, dude it's deeper than that Bro. Welcome to social media in 2022 right right yeah. right gotta contextualize these things 
I mean, Angelina Jolie would obviously be like goat level territory. I mean, she's she's done some awesome stuff throughout her career. Yeah, and she's she definitely has the most interesting personal life of any of those. <laughs> the trivia would be insane. I think that would be like guess the nine truths in one lie, basically, because it's like she's she's had a she's had a life. That's for sure. The Billy Bob and Brad Pitt eras in there. John Voight. Yeah, that's right. Hollywood royalty. Daughter of Hollywood royalty. Anybody mention anything about Sanaa Lathan? I don't know if I know who that is. I love Love and Basketball. You do. You know her. Oh, she's the star from Love and Basketball. Okay. That's all I know her from then. Mm -hmm. She's also in The Affair, which is a really good show on Showtime. She's in some Tyler Perry movies. I know that. Pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. Family that prays. (laughs) Never been so insulted than watching a Tyler Perry movie. I'm on her IMDb right now, and she only has 50 credits. So that's good. Not a ton there. Let's go to this. Dan Craig, what would you pick if we, if you're going to double dip? I don't see how you can uh, not want to dive into Steve Martin's uh, filmography. There's so great things there. Like, he would just be so much fun to, to go through his movies. Re- rewatch Roxanne with Daryl Hannah. It's still his number one IMDb credit. What do we think Lauren p- is picking? She picked Maya and Elliot before. Who's she going with? Angelina. I think that's a good guess. I'm hoping for Angelina Jolie so we can finally talk about Gone in 60 Seconds. Nice. Let's go. Let's go. Maybe Mads Mikkelsen. We'll find out. Lauren doesn't decide. Dan doesn't decide. We don't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Does Warren decide? Warren's just going to have to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, buddy. Dan Craig. Always a pleasure, my friend. Any plugs, any wise words for the audience? This is your chance to shine, my brother. I wish I had something more wise to say, but no, it's been a blast. You guys are awesome. Love the show. Love I'm not on, but love it even more when I am on. Okay, so thank you all again. This was awesome. We love having you on, man. You're the man, Dan. You're the man. It's always good having you, buddy. Yep, thanks as always, my friend. Thank you. Always bringing the fire. Need to bring somebody else in, you know? Well, as we wrap things up, we appreciate you for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Maggie Smith? I have just thrown up on some of the best people in Hollywood. Now is no time to be sensitive. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit?